When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're going to talk about Joshua and transitions and all the things that go into having courage in this world. One, one through nine. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to the cross, to cross the Jordan, you and all his people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon. I have given to you, as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land, the Hittites, to the great sea in the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you for the forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall be put the, his people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall not meditate on it. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and be courageous. Do not be frightened and dismayed for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the last of the Christmas readings. And uh, not as warm and fuzzy as a lot of our Christmas readings are um, about sort of great moments and moments of great joy. This is a moment of transition for the people of God as they have been delivered from Egypt. They've spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and now they're crossing the Jordan into the land that God has promised to their ancestor Abraham. And it's a time of uncertainty and transitions. It starts with after the death of Moses. Um, Moses, who looms larger than life throughout the book of Exodus, and all the way through to the end of Deuteronomy, has now died. Uh, his successor is Joshua. Joshua first appears in the story uh, where the um, 12 tribes go out, uh, or the 12 spies go out to spy in the land, and Joshua is one of them. And he says, we can do it. Let's have faith that God can you know, give us this land. And he and Caleb are the only two spies that believe that God can do it. 
the other 10 are discouraged and think that it's just too difficult. So Joshua lives in the wilderness for 40 years. He goes through the experience of the golden calf, where there's a great judgment poured out on God's people after that incident, and a number of others. So he's been with them from the start, and he is now going to be the new leader, Joshua, son of Nun, his assistant. Um, it's weird to work in a place where you're going to take over the, the reins of power. Uh, our our legislative, our, our, um, not legislative, executive branch of the presidency is um, sort of hints at that with our system of vice president. But ultimately, everybody kind of knows that that's a really, um, that is like the next step to being president if the president that you're the vice president for gets reelected, chances are the vice president can run for president the next time. And in a case of a death or something, you know, in that case, there's the succession that way. But it's not quite the same as um, ancient hereditary kingdoms and monarchies where the child of the monarch, the son generally, will become the next leader. Moses has children, but none of them are lined up to be in succession. It is Joshua, this chosen assistant, this spy-turned-leader, um, is ultimately the one who is going to take the reins of leadership. Maybe not dissimilar to George H.W. Bush Sr., who is a spy, head of the CIA, who became president. I don't know draw that parallel just out of the top of my head just now. It's good to know things when you're the leader, the more you know, as they say. But Joshua becomes a leader. And this is the crisis of the people of God through this time, that Moses was a strong leader, even though he's not a king, he's not a president, nobody voted for him. Um, he is the deliverer, the one who delivers them out of Egypt. He holds an immense amount of authority. Uh, he is backed up by the miraculous power of God and pretty much everything he does. We'll see with Joshua a different kind of relationship between God and the leader. Joshua is backed up by the power of God. The, the, the Jordan River does stop flowing and the people of God march through under Joshua's leadership. But a lot of the stuff that happens after that is a lot more relational and less, um, and less uh, miraculous, except for, with one exception, generally speaking, and that's the destruction of the walls of Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, as the old song says, and the walls came tumbling down. And that, indeed, is a miraculous event that has a ripple effect on Joshua's leadership as far as um, creating a sense of fear and foreboding in the enemies of God's people in the land of Canaan. But Joshua um, is taking the reins, and that's where the book of Joshua starts. Ultimately, this lack of a king just relying on these sort of dynamic leaders like Moses and Joshua, it fails because as they start to have start to cultivate the land 
uh, they find that this method of leadership is not adequate. We need a Joshua and we need a Moses when we're wandering in the wilderness, when we're being delivered from Egypt, when we're still conquering in a military campaign the land that was given to Abraham. But we don't need these kind of leaders in times of settled, normal, agrarian, agricultural life. Um, Once the tribes all get their territories, the kind of leader that they need is someone that uh, has some sort of succession system like a monarchy. That's what the people say anyway. We need that kind of leadership. And that's why Joshua is the last of these kinds of leaders. It's true with institutional life. Most things that start out fairly dynamically and are part of a movement eventually have to settle down into some kind of institution. Certainly it's true in our church plant um, as we have been a nomadic people for quite some time. Um, as we settle down and try to settle down in the, in the land God has promised to us, um, we, um, we'll, we will need more settled leadership, uh, more uh, institutional, uh, I don't know, con- continuity as we uh, move into the future together in this way. And so, uh, so it is with the people of God here in, in the book of Joshua. As it was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you, God says to Joshua. Ultimately, the promise of God is to be with us. Um, That is ultimately the promise of God. I was reflecting yesterday on my spiritual experiences or mystical experiences. Someone else was reflecting and I was reflecting back on mine a little bit. And, you know, I've had one experience with God, one, in my whole life, I think. It was very clear. All the others that I've had have been kind of like um, being at my mom's house and knowing that she's in the other room. Um, I think God's presence comes to us in a variety of different ways, and I don't know how you understand it for your life, but to me, um, being in relationship with God and having experiences with God are, are kind of like that experience of knowing mom is in the next room in a good way. Like not when I'm a kid, my room is messy and she's about to come in to check it. Um, But ultimately knowing that mom is cooking dinner in the next room in the kitchen or something, and I'm in the next room watching TV or um, dad is over there, uh, you know, cooking dinner and I'm waiting. So that sort of parental presence of God is something that is deeply embedded in our human experience because our first experience of that kind of protective love often comes from a parent parental figure. That's why when there are wounds in our parental relationships, which there are in all of us and all of all of them, both as children and parents, um, those wounds play into our spiritual life too. It's hard to imagine God being in the next room and having good feelings about us if our parents didn't, if they, if they, because of their own woundedness and all those things, weren't able to show us that kind of love. Um, God's presence, the hope is that God's presence can repair those wounds and heal those wounds that are in our life um, from, from those. But 
that sort of uh, presence of God in the next room is how I've always kind of understood God's presence in my life, not as a direct experience always. And that's what God promises to do for Joshua. I won't fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Child psychologists will tell us that when a child feels loved and safe and secure, they are bolder to venture into new experiences like going to school for the first time, going to a new preschool, joining a new swim class or something like that. Um, I don't think that's completely true. I think some kids are just shyer than others for a lot of reasons. But there is something to that, that when you feel safe at home, you have more courage to venture out. And that is what God says to Joshua as well, that because I'm going to be with you no matter what, you can be courageous. Courage is one of those things that um, we don't really, we do talk about it a lot in American sort of wellness discourse, and um, but it's something that has become such a military metaphor for life that we often may be uncomfortable with it. But life takes a lot of courage. I think for, for me, from my perspective, the, the greatest courage that I see in the world around me is when people face health challenges. Um, there's not a lot we can do when we get that diagnosis or whatever it is. There's not a lot we can do instantly. Most of healing takes a long time, whether it's chemotherapy for cancer, radiation treatment, that stuff takes a while. It doesn't get sorted out right away or other illnesses or chronic conditions. Sometimes there's no real like, you know, good end to it that we can say, oh, I'm completely over that. It's more of how do I learn to heal from this and live with it and still experience life in a good way. And the people that I admire um, have that kind of courage in the face of those kinds of setbacks. Certainly aging is another area in life where we need to have courage. The aging process um, is, is scary and difficult and has a lot of factors that play into how we see the world and the kind of courage to say, you know, I'm going to keep showing up in my life, um, even though I'm experiencing the less ability to go and do and be all these things for all these people, um, to know what our limits are in our aging process and know what we can do with great joy is part of that courage to keep living. Um, and then the courage to have difficult conversations, the courage to, um, to engage with people that are difficult to love, people that challenge us on multiple levels, or to learn new things. That kind of courage is the courage I admire in people. And I see it all the time in you guys. I see that kind of courage all the time in you. Um, and that gives me courage. When we see other people being courageous, it gives us courage to do and be who we are. Ultimately, that courage to be yourself is um, the kind of courage that I think God calls us to. That's what God is calling Joshua to um, as well. Paul Tillich, a World War I Army chaplain and theologian, said the courage to be is rooted, um, is rooted in the God who appears after God disappears in the anxiety of doubt and fear. The courage to be is found in the God who appears after God disappears. So that's another kind of courage to be able to weather a transition and still live with love and courage and boldness 
and life in this world. Um, that's what Joshua is experiencing. The death of Moses is a huge loss. And I'm sure there are moments where Joshua says, there's no way I can do this. There's no way that this is going to work. I am not adequate to do this. Even though I've kind of lived with Moses all these years and seen how he's acted and done and all the pressure he's been under, I'm not sure I have what it takes. Um, Joshua has that um, question in his mind, for sure, in these texts. But he says, I'm going to have courage because God has called me to that. Um, This huge transition when God disappears. For Joshua and most of the people in this time, God and Moses were, were kind of synonymous in some ways. Moses spoke to God as a man speaks with his friend. Moses is the mediator who goes to Mount Sinai and brings the covenant back. And so ultimately, people's idea of God is bound up in their idea of Moses. And everyone is feeling that loss, not just the loss of Moses, but the loss of God in a lot of ways. The the courage to be is found in the God who appears when God disappears in the anxiety of doubt and fear. Has God disappeared for you at times in your life where you couldn't feel that presence in the next room or even in the room you're in? where the sort of props of your life fall away because of anxiety, doubt, fear, transitions, things that have happened to you. Um, That is ultimately the moment where God really shows up. But it is often that God who appears when God disappears. That's what Tillich is getting at. Because the courage to be is the courage to be yourself. Um, In spite of what everyone else says, in spite of all those fear-based messages that say, hide, Go back, don't, don't keep pressing forward. Ultimately, God's voice calls us into greater freedom and greater self-expression. Kierkegaard said um, famously, and I'm still trying to figure out what he meant by this, but um, that, uh, that uh, despair is the courage to be your... Is the, uh, I'm mixing up the quote, sorry. Um, that... Um, the failure to be your, to fa- the failure to be yourself is the root of of most of our troubles. Um, I'm paraphrasing Kierkegaard there. I don't remember the quote exactly, but um, that oh yeah, here's the quote. It popped into my head just now. Uh, boredom is the failure to be yourself. If you look at the place in your life where you're bored, where you don't have a lot of interest, you don't feel alive. You just want to get out of there or want it to end. It could be work. Some people look at the clock all day and hope that it goes. I've had lots of jobs where I did that. I was a um, construction site uh, flag operator for a while where I turned the sign, slow, stop, slow, stop. In, in a, and I wasn't in a busy area. I was like in the middle of nowhere for a couple of days doing this. And, I, you know, in 100 degrees, 95 degrees out in the, on the hot road while they worked on the whatever they were working on, I turned that sign all day long. And, um, you know, those are the jobs where you just like time stands still. And I wish, I wish this would get over with and I wish I could speed up time. Um, in those moments, the failure to be yourself, I had to be the flag guy or the sign guy. I couldn't be myself in the way that I can be in other contexts. So places like schools and sometimes our families are places we can't be ourselves. Um, Sometimes church is a place we can't really be ourselves. 
And that's when we know we have to either discern, like, is this the right church for me? Or is this, maybe I need to be a little more courageous in this context. Um, how do I do that? Well, it's through the power of God to be ourself. Um, Kierkegaard said, face the, the truth of who you are, because that changes who you are. Um, I know I'm rattling off a lot of existentialism today, but to me that this passage in Joshua really um, captures that the question of existence. Who am I? Who am I going to be in this new era? Moses has died. Um, in some ways, God has died in that, in that too. And now this new reality with this new relationship with God is something that I need to pursue with courage. So I, I pray for courage for you today. I pray that you'll have the courage to face the truth, to face reality, and then to keep marching, even though that reality can be overwhelming at times. That is ultimately the courage to be, the courage to be yourself, the courage to be an agent of God's love in the world, the courage to walk with compassion and live with compassion, the courage to be strong and resolute to what God has called you to do and to be. Those are the kinds of courages we need in this world, especially when it comes to um, questions of who we are. The Eric Erickson, that famous psychologist, uh, coined the term identity crisis, that a young person looks at a lot of different identities and tries them on as an identity crisis, trying to figure out who they are in this world. And ultimately, I think we do that throughout our lives. It's not as dramatic as when we're teenagers, maybe. But it's ultimately the question is, who am I? Who will I be in this world? And who is God calling me to be? And you can be sure that those answers are all one and the same. What God is calling you to be and who you need to be to be authentically you should be the same answer. Um, ultimately, that is what it means to live in God's love. Because God loves you just the way you are, the true self. God loves you, the real you, that maybe nobody else fully knows. But God knows you. God made you. God loves you. Amen. And you'll notice in this canticle, the name of God, Yahweh, is used because it refers to the Lord and his name. It's one of the few places in the prayer book where Yahweh is used instead of the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is lofty and uplifted. The horse and its rider has he hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my refuge. The Lord has become my savior. This is my God, and I will praise him. The God of my people, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a mighty warrior. Yahweh is his name. The chariots of Pharaoh and his army has he hurled into the sea. The finest of those who bear armor have been drowned in the Red Sea. The fathomless deep has overwhelmed them. They sank into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in might. Your right hand, O Lord, has overthrown the enemy. Who can be compared with you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, awesome in renown, and worker of wonders? You stretch forth your right hand. The earth swallowed them up. With your constant love, you led the people you redeemed. 
With your might, you brought them in safety to your holy dwelling. You will bring them in and plant them on the mount of your possession, the resting place you have made for yourself, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hand has established. The Lord shall reign forever and forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen.